Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Bishop Garland Hunt and Eileen, we've known for almost 20 years, around 20 years. And as I said this morning, the first time we met them, there was a connection. And I believe that God is building relationships, and he's established right relationships with this church all around this country that I believe are helping us to reach our community and build up a body of believers that can be equipped to serve the purpose of God. And Garland and Eileen are, are one of those couples that we have seen, observed, and we respect them, and we've seen God use them in a mighty capacity. And I believe tonight you're going to hear from a man of God. We heard from Eileen this morning, but I don't think Garland wants you to come up tonight. <laughs> no, but she's always welcome to share a word. But Garland, why don't you come at this time? And Garland is Bishop Garland Hunt is the co-founder of an organization called One Race, which I believe God has raised up for such a time as this. And so we want to give him our attention tonight because I believe he has a word from God that will not only bring conviction, but inspiration and equip us for what God is calling us to do in this hour. Amen. God bless Amen. you. Thank you so much. Bless you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it's a blessing to be with you again today. And I uh, just want to say to you that I really believe God is, is igniting something here. I really do sense that you're on fire for the Lord, and uh, God's going to do some great things, just not even just in this area just of reconciliation, but it's something very special God wants to do right here. And uh, so I'm, I'm privileged to be a part of it. We're privileged to be here with you and just getting to know you. Uh, sometimes you have certain people that you're connected to. So I feel like uh, things don't happen by chance. This is something that God himself is doing. So I just appreciate so much this opportunity to come and to, to complete the message and to give you more of what I feel like is, is there. This is, let me just say this to you. This thing about reconciliation is actually not just something that you decide to do and say, so, well, just like, like a person gets baptized. Well, I'm baptized. And so for the rest of your life, you say, yeah, I was baptized back in, you know, 2020. No, this is a continual process. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like we're, we're, we're sanctified, but then we're always, God is always sanctifying us. We're, we're increasing in faith. Uh, this process is something that God's doing in our heart. So our heart constantly has to be uh, purged. To, to keep ourselves right. And, and even, even if I'm totally clear with you, it, some of the things as I relate to reconciliation, revi re reconciliation also impacts revival because there's, there's something that he's looking for us of the spirit realm that takes us beyond ourselves and even for God to move at another level. So Lord, I just thank you, Father, for your goodness and mercy with us. Lord, you're a mighty God and we love you so desperately. We just ask you, Lord, that you would come visit us today by your mighty power. Lord, let it be, Father, that, Lord, these that are here, and even those that may see this later, or those that are a part of the live stream, or those who may hear and come back and listen, I pray that no one would hear the word and be the same. 
Lord, the word should transform. Your word is living. Your word is powerful. So, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would move mightily among us, Lord, as we dig into your scriptures today. We love you and we bless you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to um, go on and just open up in the scriptures here. Um, I've been talking to you about this journey I had to take. Um, And I want to say to you clearly that you, you have to have a journey. You have to have a testimony in this. Um, you, you know how you're leery sometimes when someone says to you, say, well, how long have you been born again? And then they say to you, well, I've always been born again. I mean, I, I grew up in church. <laughs> I was a church goer. I said, well, well do, you, do, you, do you ever remember when you actually gave your life to the Lord? Because you try to rephrase it. I say, well, um, well, you know, I just, I just always was at church and I was always, you know, did, did all my major programs, Easter programs, and, and I was always in the choir. And then I went to school. I was a part of the Bible. I, I don't know. I just always, you know, always was saved. I said, really? So you don't have any point that you can designate that actually the Lord came into your life. Ah, hmm. I really don't know. Let me just say this to you. There is no way with the, in, in this whole realm of reconciliation and healing you will absolutely identify certain times, not even just one time. There's a certain season of time that God is beginning to deal with your heart to break that fallow ground. Because all of us have these things. And let me just say the devil definitely is working to keep us in a state of denial. And so, because there's always somebody else's issue. Let me just say very clearly, racism, um, religion, just go through it. Uh, all these things, separation, division, all these things, those are things we have to first deal with inside. It's not just somebody else. We have to identify ourselves. So first, let me just stop. And I, maybe I didn't say this this morning, but I want to be clear. This message is not for your neighbor. Your neighbor's okay. The message is for you. Okay, I'm speaking. I came here just for you specifically. Amen. So in this, as I'm talking to you, so I talk a lot about my own personal um, journey because it was very, very important for me because I had to go through a major transition because I probably was, I was way on the activist side. I mentioned to you that I went to Howard University, which I did that because I wanted to go to what we thought called was a mecca of higher education. Uh, black education particularly. And so in this, I ended up coming in contact with a lot of political thinking. I was in political science, so I had a lot of people that were very strong activists in different ways, in the political realm and also in the identified and the cultural realm. So we had, as a student government leader, I was the president of the undergraduate student assembly, we would invite speakers to come. And so one of the speakers that we came, and this is after salvation, by the way. I gave my life to the Lord in the dorm room uh, during the summer of 1978. I've been serving the Lord since then. But, but I still brought over the, the, the back, some of that baggage. It wasn't all laid on the other side of the cross. So I came over in as a student leader, and we invited Louis Farrakhan to come speak. Anybody heard of Louis Farrakhan, Nation of Islam? 
leader. Y'all don't know him? Okay. So we'll get two that know him. Well, anyway, Nation of Islam is a major organization. It was in the 60s. Um, um, Elijah, uh, the, the Malcolm X was a part of it. Uh, Farrakhan was a part of it. It was started by Elijah Muhammad. Well, anyway, so if you don't know that story, it might not work here. But anyway, he's, a, he's, a, he's really one of those guys that, um, that preach a lot of hate as it relates to Jews, uh, hate as it relates to whites. And so it spreads because people are looking for answers. And sometimes they try to find extremes in it. He came to speak at our university. And as he came to speak, he, um, he came he, when he, I prayed before he started. And I was just so confused. I said, Lord, help this man to speak to us. And this was not, obviously not a Christian, obviously a man that's followed some kind of Muhammad, this, 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 this racial Muhammad. And uh, so then he prophesied over me. He said, well, you know, who's this Garland Hunt uh, that, they, that, uh, you know, that prayed? And I said, this is how he said, well, obviously the hand of God is on your life. And I realized then that the devil was trying to pull me over into another way of thinking, even as a Christian. And I just want to be aware with you that there, are, there is coming a time that it says even the very elect will be deceived. So there, there, there are people that will position themselves as Christian, but their, their understanding of the world is still deception. And they want to bring you into their deception. So it's, sometimes it's volitional, sometimes it may not be. But just because a person is Christian doesn't mean that his biblical worldview is sound. This is why it's very, very important for you to have a good, strong foundation in the Word of God, and you don't vary on what you know is true, no matter what the case is. Because in this context, there's going to be a lot of things going on, a lot of different theories out here going on, going on but you got to stand by the Word of God. So in this uh, case, I was pretty stubborn, and during my time, I was actually seeking after the Holy Spirit at the same time. But I thought I had my politics right. I thought I had my racial understanding right. But the only thing that could finally break me was I had to have an encounter with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me just say this. I think I'm in the right place to say this. But sometimes there are certain things that have such a bondage on you. You're so bound by it. The Holy Ghost has to work and really break your stubborn heart. So, so this is the area I was pretty stubborn. And so it wasn't until I experienced that baptism of the Holy Ghost. Actually, in, our, in my law school, it, it's really interesting now. I don't know if you all remember, in uh, the 80s, there were children were being killed. Black kids were being killed in Atlanta. They talked about a spirit of murder here. And I said, what is a spirit of murder? I, I just didn't even understand it. But I said, well, you need to come over for prayer. And I got there and I got down and prayed. And the Holy Ghost began to hit this circle. So in that point, God began to transform me because I began to love the Word of God more than I love who brought the Word to me. Remember I said I wanted to hear the Word only from someone that was black. So then it didn't matter. The Word was so important to me. I didn't care what the color, if it was the Word of God that was coming to me. So something began to change on the inside of me. So out of that, I began to desire true revival. True revival. So I want to say that restoration, revival, reconciliation, all of these things have the same kind of criteria. 
to really begin to deal and be an agent of change, an agent of revival, an agent of reconciliation. This is why I have some problems even with people that are leading reconciliation movements and not reconcile themselves. Many times they were, they were couched in the context of looking for justice. And we do need justice. They're couched in the context of looking for change. And we do need change. And sometimes we talk about the problems and the systems in Rome. It talks about systemic racism in the system. And it's certainly there are vestiges of racism that has come because man is man. If, there, if there's a man that he's going to exert his, um, his, his um, exercise, his ability to put down another sometimes for the sake, even within the law system. But understand this, that for our nation to change, it's going to take a move of God. But ultimately, we don't just want a police department to change. We don't want just a new DA or a new sheriff in town. We don't just need a new mayor or even a new person in the White House. We've seen the difference. It doesn't matter. The bottom line of our nation needs healing from the Holy Spirit to come and fall on this nation. We cry out to God. And so our nation needs revival. The only way that we're going to change and the only way that we're really going to bridge this divide is the Holy Spirit has to fall in a mighty way. But what, what, if you remember um, doing Azusa Street, it had a revival there. Have you heard about Azusa Street? Well, Azusa Street was a revival that took place in California. During the time, uh, William J. Seymour was the, the one that was actually the person that initiated this revival. He was a black man. He was blind in one eye. He, uh, he had been down in Kansas City. He had learned from Charles Parham. Charles Parham was a white man that was teaching about the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost in Glossalia. So, so the, the, the black man, William J. Seymour, actually was not even allowed to go into the classroom. But he was so hungry for God that he was willing to sit outside the classroom in order to hear the Word of God. So understand this also. Our hunger for the Word has to be greater than our hunger to be politically correct. I have to find the word, I desire the word, I want the word, and regardless of who I get it from, he went to a racist to hear the word so that he could take the word to somebody else. Understand this, we also have to realize that in many cases, even in our church right now, one of the generally biggest issues is that we mostly have black and white pastors. A white pastor may be in a situation where he's pastoring mostly white church, Sometimes usually black pastors are pastoring or mostly a black church. But then sometimes you have the difference. Maybe black, black uh, people will come to a church that's pastored by a white pastor. Uh, but then sometimes you have a situation where you have diversity. Typically speaking, it's much harder for a black pastor to minister to those of different cultures because sometimes they feel like I, I will yield my life to Jesus, but not necessarily my spiritual life to somebody black. It's interesting that we found that I was, we were ministering in, in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and I had a, we had a whole thing. So we're not a black church. We're not a white church, but we're a, we're a house of prayer for all people. 
And so we did have the blessing of having some, some, some Messianic Jews that were leading my praise and worship. I had a Hispanic church that, a Hispanic church that we had followed us, and just different facets of it that was very, very unique. But typically speaking, sometimes we have to break through our desire for what's convenient to have a hunger for the Word much greater than our hunger to be comfortable. Sometimes we have to break that comfort zone to get more of God. So don't allow ourselves to get in a rut. That It has to be just like this. I'm telling you right now, we're at a new level. This whole COVID thing has brought us to another level, even a redefinition of the church. The new, the, there is a new norm, whether we want to admit it or not. The church has to be a living organism. We have to be alive. So, so it's not going to be just something we go into a sanctuary and receive, and then we go and go back to business as usual. God is calling the church to have an impact upon this generation. And wherever the ill or whatever the problem is in this nation, God has commanded the church to be the solution and at least be seen, be a bold statement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that everyone that comes around us know that we're, we're different. We're not like the world. We're not saying the same things. And this is really what bothers me. I have so many brothers and sisters, African-American, some are white, but they all are saying the things they hear on CNN or the same things they hear. Whether it's Fox News, I don't care who it is, MSNBC, they begin to hear things that they're seeing in social media, and they start sounding like the world in their own understanding, even of leadership in our nation, or even in leadership in our cities, or how we approach things. Man, do you believe that God himself has another way and another solution in the Word of God that's not going to conform to the things of the world, but we're going to conform only to the things of His, His grace? So in that regard, I want to just tell you that we're dealing with a spiritual battle here. When we had the, the, the 13,000 people that you saw the highlight for, most of the people that were there were talking about us going against racial injustice and the, the, the injustice in the system, how things had to change. But one thing I had to talk about is that we're in spiritual warfare. Racism, first, is a spirit. It's a, it's, it's a spirit. It's a spirit that goes inside of man. It comes from pride. It comes from that, that prideful spirit. Remember, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So out of that, that, that spirit comes forth and it's living. It will attach itself to a host if he can find it. So we have to recognize that we are in Ephesians 6.10. Let me start off there. Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, my brother, and be stronger in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We're, we're experiencing a demonic attack where it starts to begin to have people that are beginning to say things like, um, well, this, this, this person is a racist. I mean, I never thought that we would have a debate where one person would call another person in the actual debate, liar, clown, you are, you're racist. I mean, just talk over each other, just personal attacks. See, see, our country has gotten to a place where we're so angry at one another, blaming everyone, that the church has to be the only place, listen to this, of refuge. 
We have to find a place where we can find a place where we can be at a place where we can say, no, Lord, this is, this is a holy ground. This is a place where God's moving. And we're not going to sound like the world, nor are we going to allow the world to conform our minds, but we're going we're gonna to shape our minds in the mind of Christ. So anyway, it says we wrestle not against flesh and blood against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. See, Ephesians is trying to explain to us, as you read it, is that the battle is a spiritual battle. And what, I, what I'm reminded to tell those that are fighting for justice, because there's going to be another situation. There's going to, if it's law enforcement or something's going to happen, there's going to be something else that triggers that racial button. Somebody's going to be angry. Somebody's going to say it's not my fault. Somebody's going to take a life. Somebody's going to be offended. Something else is going to happen. And so what happens is people retreat back to themselves. I told you so. You always have trust. They're all the same. It's still the same. We're still in the same position. And so I have to tell them, say, wait, hold on. Do you realize this is a spiritual warfare? You can change every police chief in the country. You can change the police officers. They can be more accountable. And some of them, you can defund the police. Defund them if you want. You can do all the things that you're talking about, and it's still not going to change one thing until the heart of man is changed. Man is with only within himself is greedy, is sinful, because if he's not poured out his heart to God, and if even those that say they're Christian, if they're not broken, then they can still be haughty. Thus, they can still be prideful and not willing to examine themselves. I'm always concerned if someone is not willing to examine their own life. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, search me, O God. Search my heart. If there's any evil thing within me, search me, Lord. Give the Holy Spirit permission to search my heart. And in this area of reconciliation, we have to be attent to say, Lord, search my heart, O God, for there's still something within me. Show it to me so I can surrender to you. So it's, so it's a whole nother level. This is also in the case of revival, the same thing. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3, 3, 3 through 5, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So we're not warring after black and white issues. Yes, the history has been disastrous. There's been count things that have happened. But we have to have a counterculture. The culture of Christ must overcome the culture of this world. So right now, unfortunately, the, the, big, the momentum seems like the world is overcoming what, what, what we stand for. Perfect example. Can you imagine we're in a place right now where marriage has been redefined, that marriage can be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And the Supreme Court of the United States has actually said that constitutionally, you can have marriage between two people of the same sex. But I said this clearly. If, if, if man did not create marriage, man cannot redefine marriage. Can't define, can define something you didn't create. So it's all, it's all over there in this area of the Holy Spirit starting. The, tri the three people together, what is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There, there, was, there, was, there was a God in one. There was a unity of the Spirit. There's oneness there in the Godhead. Well, that same oneness 
It's what Jesus was saying in John 17 as I talked to you about. He said, let them be one. So there's no separation between God and the Father. I mean, the Father and the Son. And then the Holy Ghost came to speak of what Jesus said. There's no separation in purpose. There's no separation in focus. Jesus used their relationship as the example of our relationship. He said, I've given them everything you told me to give them. I've imparted everything they should impart. Let them be one even as I and the Father are one. So our goal is not just integration. Our goal is not unity. Our goal is not even just reconcile. Reconciliation is really a term of action. It's a process. But our goal is to be one heart, one spirit, one mind, one focus. So if that's the case, no matter where we are in the world, what church is where we land, wherever we are, we still of one heart. That's the determination. So that's the hardest to get because someone has to die in order to be one. If you don't know that, then uh, get married. Get, get Somebody's got to know whether they want the toothpaste or not here. Somebody knows they're going to lift up the toilet, the, the lid or not. Somebody's got to determine where we're going to leave, leave stuff here or leave it there. Somebody's preference has to die. The preference of you, how you worship, even in religion. Remember I told you about those that were praying in tongues and others, and they wouldn't, couldn't get together because they could not even find a way to pray together. There's a level of relationship that has a go past religion where we're willing to die to what we feel comfortable with. Do you know that although you may do this, you may change things around, there are other people that serve God in a different way. They're just on fire as you are. They may jump around. They may shout. They may preach louder. They may do theatrics, all kinds of things, but you still have to look for the love of God there. So you don't, you don't minimize them because you're not familiar with them. Part of coming into reconciliation is being able to, to die to what I'm familiar with, that I'm willing to go over and learn at a place where I'm a little uncomfortable. But God's able to bring me out of my comfort zone so that I can get to know someone that's not just like me. We tend to gravitate toward people like me. In that case, we'll never be truly reconciled, and we certainly never can walk in oneness. In the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I want to go all the way down here. They follow my notes. I'm jumping all the way down. Um, In the upper room, remember, he said, I want you to wait. There Acts 2. Just wait there. Holy Spirit's going to come. So they did wait. They were a little bit afraid because, of course, they had already had killed Jesus. Jesus came. He was, he, was, he was resurrected. They were concerned, so they went into the upper room, and that's where they waited. That he, they were there for, basically, it was a 10-day 10 10, 10 day prayer shut in. And it said that when the day of Pentecost was full of come, and they were on one accord in one place. So at first, it took 10 days for them to finally get on one accord. Uh, there's, a, there's a story about uh, one of the bishops, uh, actually one of the founders of the Church of God in Christ, and there were two bishops that uh, were fighting about territory. And the bishop told him, he said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to really even answer that. Let's, let's go pray. Let's just go to the altar and pray. 
And so they went in and prayed. They prayed for about an hour or two, and they came up, and they said, he says, he says what did he tell you? I said, well, uh, Bishop, you know, we still got the same problem. I have a territory. They have a territory. We, we still have the same issue. So that's fine. Let's just pray some more. They prayed for a few more hours, and then they, they prayed and prayed and prayed, and they kept back up and said, well, what did the Lord say? I said, well, Bishop, you know, thank you for the prayer. I really enjoyed this time of prayer, but we still have the same issue. That there's still territories that we still need to define. There's still some areas here, and we can't come on one accord. I said, that's fine. Let's pray again. So they got there, and they prayed for hours the whole day, the whole night. So they prayed, and so finally something broke. Because at some point, something broke, and one of the bishops said, Bishop, you know what? God is dealing with my heart. And I said, I'm just too possessive. Lord, I'm, just gonna, I'm willing to give over this territory to the other bishop. Let him walk in it. In other words, at some point, God will break us to the place that we're not fighting to possess something that doesn't belong to us anyway. See, God has divided us, and he's made us beautifully in a womb. We're so different, and he loves our differences. But if we make the differences for division, we'll never be able to die and become one. Unless the grain goes down into the ground and die, it abides alone. But once that takes place, then it will come forth, and it will bring forth a great fruit. So in this regard, the Holy Spirit came and came on one accord, and then suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It appeared unto them like cloven tongues as a fire. It sat upon them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The next verse clarifies this. It says, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. At the time when the Holy Ghost hit, this was not by mistake. Every nation was there to exhibit, to celebrate the day of Pentecost. So they all were there. All the Jews were there from every nation. But they had to witness this outpouring. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit impacted those in the upper room, but it didn't stay there. They began to hear the word come forth. They said, wow, we begin to hear the language of our home, the language what we know in our culture. They're like they're speaking our language. The Holy Spirit will speak your language. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that can make us one. Out of that, every nation was impacted by the outpouring. Every nation will be impacted by the outpouring. When Jesus came, he was discomforted by the church. The church was buying and selling. They, they had doves. They were doing all kinds of things. They, they, were, they were selling things. And he said, man, what is this? This is merchandise. This, my, my, my church, what is this? So he, he got a cord and he, he planted the cord. And he started whipping and turning over tables. But he declared, he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. But he said, for all nations. 
So we see, uh, we get on the side of prayer. The prayer is where the power is. Prayer is where the anointing is. The anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing of the whole oil of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it brings life to us. But it's for a purpose because it's to, for the nations to be one. So he says that my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. So the Holy Spirit... Prayer is never for just those inclusive people for that moment. Prayer is always beyond yourself. It can never just be, okay, I want a car, or I want to be healed, or I want this. No, no, no. Prayer has so much power that it can't be contained by one group of people or one church or one group or one race. No, you're called to reach the nations of the earth. The nature of Christianity is to reach the world. So we have to go beyond ourselves. So the only thing that can keep us from reaching the world is for the devil to bring us into an exclusivity. We are better. We are different. We do things right. I like the way we are. I only feel comfortable this way. Man, God can break out like never before in ways that you've never seen before. The, the, great, the worst thing for revival is the way God moved previously because we expect him to do the same thing that we're comfortable with, that we're familiar. God wants to do a new thing, shall you not know it. So we have to open up ourselves to see what God is about to do. And largely what he will do is with people that might not even look like you. Can I submit to a man of God, a woman of God, or a power of God, or another church or something where I see God is there and I'm willing to recognize, man, that, that's an anointing right here. We got to follow this anointing. God's driving us this way. Remember Jesus himself, even as coming out of the background that he's did, he's a carpenter's son. He came in all kind of scandal. She's talking about she got a, 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 a Holy Spirit came and impregnated her. What in the world? This, this, this is nothing but Joseph's son, but he came and he came and he brought truth. They said, man, he's coming to overtake our nation. What in the world is going on? So it was, it was, it was not really bringing people together. It looked almost like he was separating people. But this is what happens, and this is the part that really gets us. God is separating his remnant. The remnant is separate. The remnant is going to be broken off. The remnant of that is that which is left. The remnant cannot be bound by any culture. It cannot be bound by racism. It can't be bound by ethnicity. The, the remnant, the qualification for remnant is not race, but it's grace. It's not, it's not, it's not culture, but it's conviction. God, God is he's sanctifying and separating us unto himself. So you may have people that are closer to you in intensity, and they don't look anything like you. We have to love each other. We have to deal with each other. We want to live together. We have to do things we have to do together. Why? For the greater purpose of the gospel. Why is he saying that all of us have to take the gospel to the world when our reconciliation is not just to be together and say kumbaya. It's that we're called together to spread the gospel to the world. We have to have differences. They have to see people that have come together, but we'll have a mission. We're on a mission, church. The mission cannot be over here where, you know, that's the black church, and then the white folk got their mission. No, no, no. We're called to be the church. 
So we have a major work to do to even allow the world to hear us. They will not hear us when they see division. You know this. If you go into a new church and it looks like they're divided, you see schism. You see people running around, and they got groups. I don't want to be a part of this. Schism runs people away. The world has seen religion has been a place to divide us so much that the world says, I don't want a part of organized religion because all they see is a hierarchy. All they see is people seemingly, they want to do church, but they don't want to really be the church. So God is calling us to another level here, and it's a level of brokenness. See, like... It, it, later on in John, if you go backwards a little bit, Jesus, before he left, he, he did something that we would not want anybody to do right now. In, in John chapter 21, verse 20, he says, Then Jesus said unto them, talking to the disciples, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them. Please, don't breathe on me. Breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit will be remitted, and whoever sins you retain, they will be retained. He breathed on them. It's interesting in this COVID, because in the COVID, it attacks your respiratory system. Interesting that in this thing of 2020, which we were saying God was going to do a great revival, God's going to move. But it was interesting that this particular virus affects the respiratory system where you're breathing. In, in the George Floyd situation that became the next issue, the, the knee to the neck was, it was causing him not to breathe. He said to say, I can't breathe. Alton Sterling, some of the other ones before they had a chokehold, said, I can't breathe. When you can't breathe, you, you lose your breath. So it's interesting in these natural things that God is still showing us how important it is for us to breathe. Breathing, inhaling, exhaling. So the very thing that the church needs is what they're saying don't do. Right? Because COVID, what? You got to stay away because you can't breathe because something in your breath, something in your words, something in your droplets may get on someone else. And interesting, so what, as a result of a, the lack of breathing, it's separating us that the church has had to empty out because we're afraid of the breath. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. There has to be another level that we are looking now for. That there's, a, there's a move of the Spirit. There's, a, there's, a, there's another level of breath that's got to go forth. The Holy Spirit has to carry us to the place that we don't care anymore about our differences. Man, we are focused together. Our Father is the same Father. As Jesus, we died by the same blood. We're, we're in this thing together. And God came like a mighty wind in the upper room when they were on one accord. Bam! It hit the room. It influenced all the nations. He breathed on them. Azusa Street Revival. They began to get into a, a little whole stable. This is a natural thing that happened. Went to a horse stable because they could not stay in, in the house where they were. And the house was, was getting too packed. They say that even the porch collapsed. So they had to find somewhere. So they, they found this place on Azusa Street. 
They went in. This, this blind man, blind in one eye, black man, took it and led them. And they began to cry out to God. They refused to have a real agenda. They, they said, well, we're not going to do things the way the church does. We may have someone speak, but we're going to just try to hear what God is saying. He, he instead of just posturing himself, they said most of the time they found his head in a crate somewhere. Just crying out to God to try to get a vision for what God was doing. People start hearing about it around the world. Listen to this. Around the world, one place in California brought people from around the world to come where the Holy Ghost is abiding. The Holy Spirit moved in the upper room, touched the world. Wherever the Holy Ghost is, it will touch the nations and break every racial barrier that we have. The Holy Ghost is the answer. Now, does everybody have to speak in tongues? I'm not even talking to you about a tongue message right now. I'm talking about an infilling message right now. Because it's only the my, my, my wicked heart, I had so much of division inside of me that it wasn't until the Holy Spirit began to deal with me that I began to open my heart up and realize my love for Jesus was greater than my love for my blackness. The Holy Spirit has moved. So in this regard, the Holy Spirit has to stir these things. And then even when Jesus talked about it, John 17, he said, I've also given them my glory. Well, the glory is the power of God. It's the presence of God. The glory is where the presence of God falls. So part of them coming into oneness was them being in the presence of His Spirit. The Scripture talks about how that the Holy Spirit fell in the temple so much that the priest could not even enter by reason of the cloud. That cloud of the anointing, when it comes, man, we can't even raise our head. They, they can't, they, you, you almost have to get to the ground. There's no pride when the Holy Spirit begins to fall because the anointing of the Holy Spirit breaks every yoke. Remember the scripture says in 133, it says, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Look what it says. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even upon Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of the garment. Listen to this. The oil, what's that? That's the Holy Spirit. It begins to pour, and it brings down, and that's what brings true oneness. It's the Holy Spirit brings true unity. The Holy Spirit brings us one. Only the Holy Spirit can do it, so we're not in a physical battle. Stop trying to fix this stuff in the street. Yes, we do want to say in the street with the Lord. We are one in the church. But just to protest alone is not enough. There's a scripture in Isaiah. Means 59. I didn't, I didn't put it in. Well, I might have had it in one of the scriptures it gave them. But it talks about how they run and they look for justice. And justice just can't be found. They cry out for justice. It can't be found in the courts. It can't be found. Why? Because we're calling for man's justice. Justice alone can be very subjective. Justice seemingly for me could be how you treat me. I, I want to be just because y'all, y'all in another part of the world, I want justice for the South. Well, I want justice to be a male. Well, I want justice to be black. See, justice can be subjective, but the justice from God Many times we're crying out for justice that we don't want because God is not concerned about fairness. 
Many times God deals with things that doesn't even look fair. But when God's favor breaks out, there are people that have cried out for justice and he will literally take them out because they are giving justice among each other. We're crying out for justice, but we're not acting justly toward one another. He's not going to give justice to a group of people that are not just with one another. This is why I get myself in trouble. Because I, I say to you in the black community, I say, listen, we got everybody bringing attention to us right now. But we got to understand that the life that is taken, if it's by law enforcement, has to be just as important as the life that is taken if an African-American kills an African-American. Then you know what they say to me? They say, well, hey, you talking about black-on-black crime. What about white-on-white crime? They kill each other too. 85% of white folk killed by white folk. So don't, don't, don't bring this old black-on-black stuff to me. I said, man, listen, you're missing the point. The point I'm saying that every life that God created matters. We have to respect each other. So if someone else in the system, it could be systemic, whatever you want to call it. But we still, if we're saying that we have been victimized by someone else, we have to still appreciate the love and the life that God gave us as we deal with one another. And oh my God, don't talk about the baby in the womb. The whole nation has forgotten about the baby in the womb. Does that life matter to God? Cain and Abel. I, 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 was, I didn't even know if I was going to get that part, but I'll just mention it to you. Abel and Cain both offered sacrifices. And, of course, we know Abel's sacrifice was received by God and Cain's was not. Cain was very upset. Cain said, listen, I, I don't understand. I've, I've worked just like my brother. And my brother seemingly is accepted by God and mine has not been. So something God saw in Cain's heart, even though we may look at it and say that Abel's sacrifice related to blood, it related to a living creature that was offered. And the other, the Cain, Cain was dealing with more of the vegetables and the things of the earth. But it still is way beyond that. There was still something in Cain's heart that wasn't right. And it was evident when Cain said, brother, come on, let's go out. And we're going to go out here out in the field by ourselves. When in the field, what happened? Cain killed Abel because of jealousy. The father Cain says, where's your brother? Oh, no. Where's your brother, Cain? I don't know. Listen to this. I'm not my brother's keeper. Oh, you're not. The Lord was angered as a result of that because he knew he could see the, the blood, the innocent blood of Abel coming from the ground. He heard that innocent blood. God defends innocent blood no matter whether it's black people, white folks in the womb, whatever. You kill somebody because of drugs, somebody that takes innocent blood, God defends that the killing of innocent blood. Innocent blood was crying from the ground, so Cain, therefore, was committed and cursed as a result of it. Why? Why? Because of the fact 
that he said, I'm not my brother's keeper. We all have a responsibility for our brother. Even when his offering looks to be greater, looks to be more favored, looks like he's got more gifting, looks like he's been honored, looks like somebody's preferring him, looks like he's accepted. Why are you guys giving all these folks all this credit? I mean, it's really something about the jealousy that slips in because jealousy breeds murder. What do you think abortion is? You, you, you guys know this. I'm sure you've heard some of these stories. But... Um, Oh, wow, 15 seconds. Look at that. That's a lot to say in 15 seconds. Um, Planned Parenthood was started by eugenic Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger wanted to deal with population control like now. There are billionaires that are speaking about population control. Out of population control, how do you cut down the population because they're using too much of the world's resources? Eugenics, very much like it, said that, that black people and people of color are, are not of the pure race, so they're using too much of the world's resources, so therefore we need to find ways to cut down their birth live birth. So, so it came out first birth control. The next one was abortion. Purposefully, they set it as a genocidal eugenic focus to cut off a whole race. And now it's still is a, it's called Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood finally said a few months ago that we disavow Margaret Sanger. But I'm just saying to you that the black babies being murdered in a womb in a higher percentage rate has been because of a diabolical scheme that took place years ago. There is no doubt about it that we're in a place right now where things are about to turn on the body of Christ. We think it's a problem between Republicans and Democrats. We think it's a problem between black and white. Ultimately, the enemy is on, coming to us. We are the target. The church is the target. As long as we're divided, we won't be as strong. As long as we think we're not our brother's keeper, we won't have brothers together that we can be arm in arm. God is calling us to a place where we have to stand together because we will be the object of persecution. The next civil rights march is not just a march of rights racially. It's going to be us standing together, defending our religious liberty, defending our religious freedom, standing together as brothers and sisters saying we stand for Christ. We don't stand for race. We stand for his grace, his blood. We're brothers together and therefore we will die for each other. I have to be willing to die, not to kill because of my gender, but I got to be willing to die for my brother no matter what his race. We have to be at a place where our church the church of Jesus Christ is one because we are very close to being the target of the world. The command, the mandate, let them be one, is for our advantage that we can be stronger together. We'll be much stronger together than we are divided. Ultimately, what happens in Revelation? Go to the end of the book. After this, I beheld a great which no man could number of all nations, Kindreds, 
People in tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. They were saying, glory, glory, glory. We honor you. The beauty even in heaven is that the nations and the kindred say, well, wait, hold on. I thought we just have glorified bodies. How would he still look at the beauty? He loves our diversity. Part of the worship to him is not that we become like each other. It's part of the worship is that we honor each other in our differences. But all together, we're at the foot of cross, praising him. He says, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. We're worshiping the Lord together and honor him. Even in heaven, we're going to still have different kindreds and tongues, but we're going to glorify him unto the Lamb. He brings us together. It's at the foot of the cross where true reconciliation, revival, restoration comes. It's at the foot of the cross that we're the strongest than we could ever be. God's calling us to be one. Lord, I thank you for your anointing of the Holy Spirit. I, I pray, Father, that you just help us to see it. Lord, we refuse to let the world persuade us to think that this is a flesh battle. That sometimes it's just, way, just some situation of a police officer or some, some, some racial supremacist hiding out in the White House or, or somebody that's, that's, that's in down the street because they don't like us. Lord, I know this is, a, this, is a, this is a spiritual warfare that we're engaged in that's targeting the church to keep us divided. Lord, I pray, Father, that, Lord, the spirit of oneness and spirit of praise and spirit of anointing will come upon us. And just like that upper room, Father, whether we need to pray before you 10 days or 10 years, whatever it takes, break us, O God. Bend us, O Lord. Holy Spirit, move in our heart that we may see ourselves yield to you, that we may be one together. We just bless you, Father, now that you would speak to us in the reality and the truth of your word. And we love you so much. We love you so much. Now, this is what you have to do, people. You got you to look in, within yourself. See, even as, as current right now, as I saw what well, just took place in Kenosha, Inside of me, I said, man, I hate to see this. It's just not right. I, I looked and I saw the next day this young man, Cal Rittenhouse, I think his name is, 17 years old. He was armed and walked right down the street. Police didn't even touch him. And in my heart, I said, Lord, there is a difference. So even myself, as long as I've been in here, that was a place where I had to renounce that, that sense of anger about the differentiations between how people are treated. And I have to realize that man is going to sin. Man is man because man without God will sin. But our only hope our only trust is in you. Lord, take our eyes off the natural. Take our eyes off the natural that we may see in the spirit realm. 
ultimately we win. Ultimately you're coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Ultimately you're coming for a church that will be one, that will love each other, that will die together. Ultimately you're coming for your bride, oh God. Prepare us to be one with you. King Jesus, we love you. We adore you. We worship you. We glorify you. We thank you. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.net.